0: We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified.
1: We're all going to turn again to the book of James. I think you probably thought I was done with it when I last week. But I, I, I expect this to be my last message from the book during this time through. And I'm going to be touching on something from each of the chapters, the five chapters. The author of the epistle is concerned with helping the brethren live the way that they should. That is, to live in a way that is pleasing to God. That's something which each of us ought to be concerned about for ourselves. There are ways to approach the issue of how to live pleasing to God. There are things to do and things to avoid doing that are helpful along the way. We understand well in the context of sports how important it is to have a list of things to do and things to not do. Some things will enhance progress towards goal while other things will be a hindrance. Bodily exercise has benefits we are taught that right here in our Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Now notice what comes after that having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So two things there within that one. The bodily exercise, and then there's godliness. Bodily, yes ma'am, 1 Timothy 4 and chapter 8, I mean f- chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy 4, 8. I may have misspoken, but it's First Timothy 4.8, if my notes are correct. I think they are. So it's a bodily exercise. It profit, it has, there's a profit to be had from it. And then there's this matter of godliness. And it says it has benefits now and it has benefits later. So you see what we're looking at here. The concern of this epistle is not with those things that profit little but rather the focus is on those things that accompany and enhance godliness or you might say are compatible with godliness. That's what the focus is here in James. Now The readers need to understand that if you think about bodily exercise and the benefits that you can get from it, that the direct benefit is for the body to help it to be healthy, to be able to function well, but that's also a limitation because the bodily exercise as the scripture tells us. It does, says nothing about a benefit from that that goes beyond. For now, for how long? While we are sojourning. But godliness, it says it has a benefit, not just now, but also future. So, here's the thing. Many of us are very diligent about our physical exercise, or we know people who are, and pay a lot of time and attention to that. And if they were to put up a spreadsheet and see how much energy, effort, and time and concern they have with that compared to how much time, energy, and effort towards godliness, many of us would be ashamed to see the graph because the things that are temporary the things that are passing away has a way those things have a way of consuming us so that we don't see the value in being concerned about those things which are eternal James is concerned about the things that are eternal but he knows that while the people are here in this temporary setting they ought to be concerned about the things that are eternal ought to be and he has something to say about that this epistle has general applicability we sometimes you'll see it referred to as a general epistle as a contrast to some of the epistles of Paul which are addressed to a specific church or a specific individual we don't see that here he says there are 12 tribes that are scattered all about and the letter is addressed to, to them, a general audience. However, while we say general and not to a specific person or a specific local church, it is addressed to specific people And you know the word that we're going to say because we said it over and over again. These people are identified to whom the message is directed. And the word is brethren. The word is brethren. And so let's remind ourselves of how it is that they came to be brethren. And I'd like to come back to that in this book, particularly because of the way some people have taken the book and have had doubts about it or its place, whether it belonged in the canon, because they thought they saw a conflict. They thought they, thought they saw salvation by works being taught by this epistle. And to the contrary, we say, no, that is not what the book is about and it doesn't teach that doctrine in chapter 1 verses 17 to 18 just to remind ourselves it says here every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow Of turning. Note that. Every gift, every good gift. Every good gift, every perfect gift, gift, gift. Notice the word gift. The gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. Think about it in that context. Now, he goes on to say, in verse 18, Of his own will, he brought us forth. By he brought us forth by the word of truth of his own will is that salvation by works it's not that we might have a kind of first fruits of his creatures so then these brethren that James is talking about are people who have spiritual life who have eternal life, these are the ones to whom this letter is focused. So there's a time frame in which the contents of the letter have relevance for his audience, for the audience that James writes to, and for subsequent audiences who hear the message or the messages that are contained within the epistle. There's a time frame within which they have relevance. You know what that is. Well, let's use the text here in James to tell us what that time frame is. In James chapter 1, in verse number 10, here's a portion of what it says there it identifies the rich, but notice what it says. As a flower of the field, he passes away. Time frame, he passes away. In chapter 4, at a portion of verse 14, it says So, what is your life? It is even a vapor, a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And so there's a time frame in which what James has to say has relevance to those who are taking heed of or listening to what is being said. A time frame. And that time frame is while we're in our earthly frame. That's what the time frame is. It's important to think about that. So, that raises a question for us, as well as it did for them. James, we can think about him as having raised a question and then provided some help as to how to answer. And here's a question. What is to be done? in the little time before life vanishes away? That's a question for you, for me, for all of us. What is to be done? You know the Bible says or raises a question. What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose a soul. What profit? There's a time frame in which gaining the world might seem to be incredibly important. And time can be spent and effort and energy can be spent for that. But that's only within a certain time frame that, that makes it matters at all. And if it's done at the expense of the soul, That means hard beyond what we have the human capacity to express. But God has said it, so we need not doubt it. We ought to be concerned as changes—I say is—in <laughs> heaven. He's concerned still. <laughs> I think it's fair to make a statement like that. But God is concerned about that for us. What is to be done? So James has something to say about it, about that question, what is to be done. So listen to what he says. I'm going to look at and focus on some of the words that he uses in suggesting what is to be done. Here's some of the words that he uses. Some of the terms, count, do not, let let not, and be. Interesting. All of these terms imply volition. That means a purposeful intent. All these words. And so James says, I have something to say about that. What is to be done? And you have a choice as to what you're going to do with what I say. That's what he said. And so he says, My concern is not with a temporary bodily condition, but with godliness. Listen to what I have to say about that. So, what I have now here is a list of selections from within the book where the word brethren is used, and it's, he's given a direction or a directive to the brethren. So, each of us to say, Okay, here's something. What is it to be done? Okay, here's something. What is to be done? Here's something else. What is it to be done? Well, here's something else. Look at these things. That's what James is saying. I'm going to point out some of those. In chapter 1 and verse 2, it says that my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count. What does it mean by that? I think if, you, if your translation has the word consider, that might make it more clear to our understanding. He said, consider it to be so, consider it. Joy, when. Now there's a critical word there. Because he chose the word when. We would prefer the word if and hope that the if doesn't occur. <laughs> but that's not what he says. He says, when. So, He's saying, you're going to have trials, don't sweat it, count it as joy. wow, that's something, but that's what he says, and it's worth it to be listened to, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but we talked about some of these things before, but the various trials are going to be a part of the life of the brethren, that's the point, point. and there is a proper response for the brethren in the midst of those trials. Something to be desired to have the right response in the midst of the trouble. <laughs> That's something we de- we desire. We should desire to say, "Lord, help us to have the right response." It's easy to to get off track when the troubles are pressing on. But God says, "You have an ability." And he gives us the ability, and then he helps us to do what we should do. And in, in, in also in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And this is one that I continually keep coming back to. It's continually intriguing to me. In our public discourse, there's a lot of deceit going on. I remember reading some prominent people who thought they were in the know expressing themselves about what it meant to them to find out that they had been deceived about certain matters. And the way they expressed it was almost as if they were in shell shock that they had been deceived in such a way. It is heartbreaking breaking, to find you've been deceived in something that's very important. James is concerned about these church tribes, these brethren scattered all over the place. Not that they avoid being deceived by the government, the government, but that they avoid being deceived in spiritual matters that count beyond now, but into the future that 's where the mo- most important thing is to not be deceived. I know of people who've gone off the deep end, following after beliefs, ideas that are completely contrary to sound Bible doctrine. James says. Don't be deceived. In chapter 1, verse 19, my beloved brethren, here's something that also can be helpful to us, this idea of being, avoiding deceit. Being swift to hear, and then slow to speak, and slow to wrath. But to hear, wrath, well, sometimes you need to hear and to understand a thing before you respond to it. And sometimes you need to speak less and hear more in order to get a full grasp of what's going on. That's what he says there. In chapter 2 and verse 1, My brethren, do not hold the the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. We're not to show favoritism, improper, ungodly, unholy favoritism. That doesn't mean that we don't make distinctions. That doesn't mean that we don't see the things that are good and the things that are bad. And sometimes point those things out. It doesn't mean that. But favoritism is an, un, is an improper evaluation showing favorites. We see that in our popular world, the world around us. We see it all over. We're just flooded with that kind of thing. But James says, brethren, don't be like that. In chapter 3, verse 1, my brethren... Let not many of you become teachers. Now here he's talking about those who desire to be in a place where they are up front and influencing people and all that sort of thing. He says, don't strive for that in a willy-nilly way. Wait for the Lord to lead in God so that if you're there, it's by his leading and not your own doing because there will be a stricter judgment. And so it causes trembling for those who do stand before people and audiences like this. In chapter 3 of verse 10, he says, Out of the mouth, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So what is to be done? In the time before life vanishes away. There's no space for using the mouth for cursing. James has a lot to say about the use of the tongue. We, we talked about some of that. No time for that. Well, there's another way that we can think about that particular verse here. We can say, well, do not let blessing and cursing proceed out of your mouth. <laughs> another, a do not. One of those phrases, do not. So things to do, thing not to do, things to do, things not to do. In chapter 4, verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren, speak of the evil of the brethren. Now, that's a sinful thing, to, to be speaking evil of the brethren. So I think we can understand if we were to be doing that, that we were doing that. Some people have a tendency to do different kinds of things that they know to be wrong, but they have a tendency that way, and they have to work really hard to guard themselves and yank themselves back when it's crossed that way because we have, each of us, certain areas where we have to be more diligent than certain other areas. And we have an adversary who seems to know all about that, and so he attacks us right where the weak spot is, but let's move along then it says in chapter 5 verse 7 therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord be patient the Lord is coming so again he goes beyond the context of this vapor the time frame of the vapor to the future the Lord is coming so there is a future And so he said, be mindful of that. Therefore, you can be patient. Why? Because I know that this little frame is not all there is. I know there is an end, and and that's a good one. And so I can be patient if I know that. If I don't know that, I want to make everything work right now. He said, don't grumble against one another, grumbling under the breath of each other. Then it talks about the prophets and it talks about patience and looking to them as an example of patience. He says, my brethren, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patience. We count them blessed who endure. He says, you have heard of the perseverance of Job And seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful, patient. We've talked about Job, and think about the idea of patience, and what we read about in the scriptures as to what he went through. Think about that the whole year to be in that kind of frustration, and that he had hours in his frustration but he had patience. He did not take advice given to him that he should just curse God and die. What kind of advice is that to give somebody? Or from whom does such advice come? Many people are given that kind of advice by people. They say, well, just give up, get the doctor to assist you to move out on. That's horrifying and sinful and awful. Job went through what he did. And what Job didn't know is what the end was of that experience that God had for him. He didn't know that. We look and we see it. That, oh, God had a good end for him. But we also do know, though, that for all of those who belong to God, God has a good end for them, every one of them. And so while we pray to God that we never have to experience things, anything, even in the ballpark of what Job experienced, whatever it is we experience, we can understand and know that he also has a good end for us who are his own. And we should appreciate that. It says, example of suffering and patience. And then it says, brethren, in chapter 5, verse 12, do not swear. So again, he's coming back to the use of the tongue and how it should be used, the proper use of it. And he says, swearing is not one of those. And so don't use it for that. Use your tongue in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. Because see, that's the kind of thing that James is talking about, godliness. You can't be practicing godliness while you're using your tongue for swearing. So he says it doesn't matter what it is you're swearing by, (laughs) you know, even by God or some object or some other false god or the moon or star, whatever. That's just get rid of all that. And let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And so James is saying to us, that our life, our lives are but a vapor soon they will vanish away and he says there are things we should be doing and concerned about during this time before the vapor vanishes our father in heaven we thank you for the privilege you've given to us Now help us to benefit from the words you have caused to be recorded here by the grace of God. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior with thanks. Amen. Thank you again for your kind attention.
0: James, James, thank you for that. very much i I asked james if he'd give me just a few minutes at the end of his class to uh insert a couple of comments um i was asked by somebody to share uh with the church just kind of teach a little bit about how do you spend time in the word how do you spend time in the bible and your own Uh, how do you have a quiet time or devotional time or whatever you call it and so i thought i would just share a little personal testimony about what I've been doing and as an encouragement to you to uh, be doing something uh, yourself as well. Uh, I think I'm convinced, I believe, that it is essential that our people be in the Word of God daily in some form or fashion, okay? If you're not, then you ought to feel uh, not good about that by the end of the day, okay? Uh just put, put that in your little conscience, uh, you know, machine there and uh, and have it work on you because we need the word, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we need that word. Now, I'll tell you what I'm doing presently myself. So I spend time in the word a lot of days during the week, not just for myself. Do You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I have to preach this message and that one, and this funeral and that thing, and what am I going to do about that? That's kind of like work. You know what I mean? It's not work, but it's work. Um, I want to maintain a, a time when I have some, a portion of uh, time just to th- think about the word, read it, pray, and just have it help my soul, you know, intake so what i'm doing right now is two things i'm reading through the new testament uh very slowly because i'm reading through it in greek and so what i do is i have a tablet that i have uh, bible software that has the english on the top and the greek on the bottom half and i read the english verse and then i go and i puzzle through the greek do parse some of the verbs and uh and the adjectives and nouns and adverbs and all that good stuff and and uh, just keep my Greek practice up. And uh, I've been in th- kind of enthusiastic about getting back to that because I was teaching, as you know, last, semest- last two semesters in Greek. Um, so I'm doing that for my reading, and that does have, a, a, it's, a, it's got an advantage and a disadvantage, okay? You don't have this problem because you're not gonna probably be trying to read the Bible in Greek, but the disadvantage is it's, it's so slow. It's harder to understand when you read so slow, um, but I'm getting the English, and I've read it many times, so that's not a huge problem. The, the advantage is that you're going slow, and that forces you to think about it and say, "Oh, look at this! I didn't, I didn't remember this was that verb, or it's a singular or a plural, or it's a perfect tense, or whatever." And it's like, "Wow, that's cool!" You know, uh, you you pick up things that way. So. That's one thing that I'm doing. A second thing is I am listening to a a professor who gives a a verse a a day uh, on the Greek uh, New Testament, and he uh, reads it in Greek and then translates it. That's just a little two-minute video that I can watch, and that's a a nice thing too. The third thing that I do in my time presently, besides some prayer, which would be the third thing, the fourth thing then would be uh, to read a, a good book And I'm reading this like one or two pages at a time. This particular book is called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. I I would recommend it to you. There are a couple of portions that I would probably write differently if I I were the author, but I'm not the author. So I'll just take it as he has given it. And um, I was gonna find out when this was, copyright 1991. So it's not a brand new book, but uh, he lists the spiritual disciplines that he believes are necessary for the Christian life. And uh, I've read through, I think I'm pretty much all the way done with this, just a few more pages, but, um, you know, one, two, three, four pages at a time every day and just think about the things that he's written here. The disciplines for, for godliness that he lists, and I'll just give you the chapter headings. Bible intake. Parts one and two, that takes up two chapters. Prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. He devotes the 13th chapter of the book to perseverance in the disciplines, just as an encouragement that we don't give up. But let me just share with you I liked his emphasis on Bible intake. okay. He doesn't call it Bible reading because that's only one form of Bible intake. So he has hearing God's word as one form of Bible intake, okay? Uh, hearing the word. We can hear the word, right? We can listen to sermons, podcasts, uh, you know, sermons from other good pastors, catch up on ones that you've missed here from the church. Uh, Then, of course, he has another method of intake, is reading, reading God's Word. And let me mention, in terms of reading, don't think that you have to read in such a way that you understand perfectly everything that you read, okay? I mean, I just kind of said what the problem is. Understand perfectly? When is that going to happen? So one one way that you understand things is by going over them and over them and over them again. And so you don't have to feel like, boy, I can't remember every detail of what I just read the last 10 20 minutes or however long your reading is. Don't don't worry. Just read. Read large sections, okay? There's a time for reading, there's a time for studying, there's a time for memorizing, and those are some of the other things that he has here studying he has uh, also, in the next chapter, memorizing as a uh, spiritual discipline, meditating on it. He has and several pages on each of these uh, topics, and then applying God's Word. So you, you can think of it like, I'm going to read. That's kind of a fast activity. I'm going to study. That's a slower activity. I'm going to meditate on a verse. That's an even slower activity. I'm going to memorize. That's a really slow activity. <laughs> different speeds, okay? So just like you drive different speeds in your car, depending on your purpose you or where you're at, then you might do the same in your uh, Bible intake. So I want to just encourage you with that. And maybe you would, would do something like I've done, take a book and read a couple pages of it, challenge yourself, think about it. Not that I can implement all 12 of those disciplines you know, instantaneously or uh, do each one of them every day, but uh, that was a, a helpful thing. It's somebody else teaching me, not just me teaching me, oh, God teaching me, uh, God uses means to do that. Now in years past, what I've done for my, my devotional time is mainly, uh, mainly just focused on the reading because over the years, as I said, by repetition, you begin to know the Bible very well, and that's the point. It's, it's not to, to just rush through it once and say, I've read the whole Bible uh, or to just kind of meander through in an unsystematic way. I encourage a systematic approach to reading Scripture I don't encourage you to get stuck in the Old Testament for months and months and months and years on end. You need to be reading in the New Testament, okay? I'm convinced of that by personal experience and by theology because what is most directly connected to our life today? Well, the New Testament or Old Testament? I think it's the New Testament. Obviously, there's very profitable things in the Old Testament as well, so don't, don't hear me to be downplaying that. So um, one, one period of time, many years ago, I spent doing uh, what I call the MacArthur plan for reading the New Testament. I think I've told you this before. That plan consisted of taking a book, uh, James, reading it once a day and doing that for a month. So now I've read through James 30 times, more or less. And I'd do the same thing with 1 John. The next month, the next month, I read maybe Second John, Third John, and Jude, and I read those for thirty days. And then I read, you know, John's Gospel. I'll read the first eight chapters for uh, thirty days, or or I can read chapters one through eight and nine through sixteen and take it in three days, and then repeat that cycle over three months so that I read through John's Gospel thirty times, and in two and a half years you repeat that process and you can read through the entire New Testament in 30, 30 times in two and a half years. Um, so that's another approach that you could use if you're really into it. it takes more time, but it's, it's uh, good. I've read through the New Testament in uh, the schedules that we put out every year. You know, you can read through the New Testament once in a year. You can read through the New Testament twice in a year. You can read through it four times in a year. You can read through it not it doesn't take too long to read through it in three months. Actually, you just read several chapters a day, and you're good. Uh, similarly with the Old Testament, but I encourage a systematic approach to that because if you don't have a system and you're just kind of bouncing around, you're not getting the whole counsel of God. Okay, so those are just some ideas for you. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to take those afterwards. I want to let you have a few minutes of fellowship and have a break, but. Um, since I was asked the question, I thought I'd spend just a few minutes encouraging you folks about that. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but if somebody asks, I'm going to say, go back to May, what is it today, 28th, and I look at the YouTube recording or the recording on the church website and listen to that little end section of the Sunday School and get some ideas. So. Uh, We can talk more about that. And if you have any particular questions, again, I'd love to take those and even answer them in another session like this. But Brother James, thank you for the book of James. Now, are you finished with the book of James? Is that kind of a review? That's it for now. Okay. Oh, James. They want to know where you're going next. He doesn't know yet. That's an awful place for me to be when I finish a book of the Bible. I don't know what I'm going to do next. (laughs) So, all right. Heavenly Father, we pray about that, and we pray that you would have each one of us uh, convicted that we need to be in your word daily. We're going to see changes in our lives as we apply uh, and think about, meditate on, memorize, and and, uh, just read your word. And uh, we thank you for the power that's in that word. May we... uh, Take advantage of that, as it were, in Jesus' name. Amen.